Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Peacock fuels your true crime obsession with exclusive new originals. John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise. Clowns can get away with murder. And Epstein Shadow, Ghislaine Maxwell. She inherited Jeffrey Epstein's secrets. Plus the most bingeable crime series, Snapped. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hello, my name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 265 of the No Encore Music Podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network. I'm here with Craig Fitzpatrick. Good evening. How are things? It was very news-like. I felt like I was thrown to you at government buildings, yes. Uh, it's just you and me for this recording. Dahi Odroni will be editing the episode. Adam Shanahan is not here. He's got the night off, so I hope he comes back. Uh, but yeah, this is No Encore. It's a music podcast. Hope you're joining us for the 265th time, but if you're not... Uh, you're welcome anyway. So sort that out. <laughs> Catch up. A lot of episodes out there. Go back and then come back to this. Yeah, and give us detailed feedback for each one. As noted, my name is Dave Hanready. I host this show alongside my good buddy Craig. So yeah, uh, on this episode of this music show, we're going to be reviewing the brand new album from the Antlers. It's called Green to Gold. Came out last week. Very sonambulant stuff. But will it keep us awake? We're going to find out. On top of that, though, the big one. It's time. It's top five Kanye West songs. Why are we doing this this week, Craig? Um, because it's Good Friday when this episode is coming out. So quite a flippant reason. It was always going to happen. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, when people ask what Good Friday means to me, I think there's a few standout moments. Obviously, big JC giving Mel Gibson pretty harrowing movie material um, before coming back three days later. Like, you know, surprise motherfuckers. Um, you had the pubs not being open until 2018, and then again in 2020 Look and 2021. <laughs> but most importantly, well. <laughs> Kanye West's weekly gifts to the world way back when in the run-up to My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, uh, his Good Friday releases, um, synonymous with that name. Also, he did a bunch of them around Pablo as well, which didn't qu- quite keep going. And then that summer, 2018, where it was one album a week, 
momentous. So yeah, uh, we thought it was high time we celebrated the man himself. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one, I think, because we don't really do artist top fives that much. So I like that we're getting boxed in a bit. It's not too open-ended. There's going to be room for like comparison and like maybe a little competition. It was like, you know, when we did Bond around about this time last year. Because you've got a set number of songs, I think it just adds a bit of tension and frisson and maybe we'll have that here. Definitely, yeah. And in fairness, I mean, this is probably the first artist top five we have done. James Bond is not a musical artist, Greg. I should probably point not out yet. at this point. Not with that I mean, attitude. Well, true, yeah. I'm sorry, okay. I mean, like it's Bond can be anything, so... <laughs> but we'll see but here's the thing we've actually never so we're doing the top five thing now a little over a year and somehow we've managed to restrain ourselves we've actually never done a top five Kanye West so I feel like we're overdue I feel like we've earned it I feel like there can be no one just being like it's just the lads talking about Kanye well it is it's gonna be at least an hour of that later in the show but we've built up to it we have the patron saint of the show we had had a lot of options that I think are pretty good and we'll probably use again but we were both very much leaning towards Kanye once we kind of mentioned it um, although you did say, like, I wonder how many uh, listeners we're going to shed. I, I don't think we're that in that much danger, are we? Possibly. I did say to someone just before recording that we're probably going to alienate half the fan base. But at the same time, so. I think there's... that's what Kanye West is. He's divisive. And yeah. like, I wasn't the biggest fan for a long time. Uh, there's a lot to talk about. Let's stop dancing around it. We'll get to that later in the show. Uh, I should note that, uh, as always, there's the part where I say patreon.com slash no encore. If you'd like to help us out, if you'd like to throw us a fiver or more, it's up to you. In return, you'll get bonus episodes, including the latest episode of No Ox Chord, our Sunday morning easy breezy recording in which we talk about music that we like and just have general kind yeah, of Yeah, and guess like impromptu from, from like high-stress quizzes. Um, I threw <laughs> an impromptu high-stress high, high stress quiz, that's tough, Craig's Way on that episode. I lured him into the chill-out zone and then I threw game show host Dave at him and it was highly entertaining if I do so so myself. If you want to hear that, patreon.com slash no encore. Go there now. Be our best friend. Uh, speaking of good friends, Michal Quinn of Dermot Kennedy, Enemies yes. and Melty Brains fame. His episode, his track-by-track episode dropped on your feed this week, came out on Wednesday. Uh, it's a long conversation going through his debut album, Colours. We've had some very, very nice feedback to it already. A few people have messaged me privately, Craig, and have said that they thought it was great. They thought it was really, really enlightening. And Michal is just an incredibly interesting guy, uh, very full of life. Yeah. And, you know, managed to, you know, I was having a, like, I wasn't having a great day that day. And I, when I chatted to him, I completely forgot about my troubles. Just really enjoyed tuning into his frequency. That episode's out now. If you haven't gone to check it out, if you see that and you're like, I don't know who this guy is, it's not for me. I promise you, if you listen to it, you'll come away. With a, with a newfound respect for life, Craig, I would say. It's a big promise, so, but uh, achievable. That's what I do. Achievable. I, make, I, make, I make huge outlandish promises. Should be in government Much mate. like Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> Much like Kanye West, who will now cue us in to our famous news section. Hey, you heard about the good news? Well, I guess the biggest news this week, Craig, I mean, coming off the heels of me saying to Adam and to you, I think as well, on that Sunday morning call that I was like, I got to curb the vinyl addiction. I'm buying too many records. I'll never buy a house at this rate. So I was like, that's it. No more. And then, of course, MBV. who came along this week and reissued? MBV. <laughs> Bangs table. MBV. That's me cribbing a, yeah, a GBV. Go to my voices chant there. But uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think Bob Pollard in mind. Yeah, the return. Kind of ish. They've returned more than once now at this stage. Uh, they have signed My Buddy Valentine, who, of course, are a seminal shoegaze art rock outfit, uh, one of the greatest acts that you'll ever find yes. in, in any part of the world, uh, have signed to Domino, 
and during the week, it was the day before April Fool's Day, I think, or maybe two days beforehand, so they timed it well, because we probably wouldn't have believed them, Greg, would we, if it came out on the Thursday, all those hilarious oh, fake stories Today's doing the rounds, fun. you know, like, here's here's Daft Punk's solo were you project. Bludgeoned, were you bludgeoned to death with that kind of inflatable I hammer think, of fun? That I think is. people's tolerance is really, <laughs> I, I think it was lacking this year, I think people have kind of stopped doing it, or maybe I'm just not on those mailing lists anymore. I think brands were kind of advised that, listen, everyone's in a bit of a state. People are dying. Just give it a rest, yeah, mate. Stop yeah. <laughs> Stop trying to be funny with your Smiths reunion talk. But my buddy Valentine are reuniting. They say that they're going to put out two new albums, which is hilarious because, like, <laughs> isn't it, yeah, exactly. Perfect reaction. There's a great thread on the Drown and Sound message board and it's titled new mbv music in 2016 and they won't change it because they're like they just love that kind of weird time warp loop thing but they have they've, they, they've signed up to domino but they put all of their back catalog on vinyl yes i have ordered the deluxe edition of loveless immediately it is already sold out i as have did i you get it nice okay <laughs> yeah, I, I had to i had to you have to it's perfect it's top five mate top spoilers for our top five records of all time there in the future it's fucking yeah i think it's probably in my top five um yeah so they're back everyone's excited and apparently they're working on two new albums they haven't recorded a single note of either of them yet it's very much a case of watch this space real quick because you know it's not much of a news story beyond what we've just said but like uh you happy you glad of this yeah yeah particularly with a band like my blood valentine where everything they release is you know of course from all the tinkering around with sound and stuff you kind of want it on vinyl like it is actually worse that's purchase it is worse the kind of pretentiousness of being like oh i need that full-bodied analog sound so i'm hyped to listen to it i'm glad they're back i don't believe for a second we're getting new material anytime soon like in that new york times piece there's a kevin shields is talking about how oh because uh, you know the pandemic would have had stuff out and i was like really i mean that's, that's outstanding yeah that's an excuse for most most artists but i don't think the pandemic was holding you up so well i mean the pandemic has held a lot of things up greg including glastonbury everyone's favorite festival they're making the best of it though the organizers have announced that coldplay damon alburn heim idols georgia smith kano michael kuanuka and wolf alice will perform at live at worthy farm a ticketed live stream event to be broadcast on the 22nd of may incidentally i believe it's the 21st of may when those my boy valentine vinyls are going to be shipped into the world so uh, i'll be busy that day and i can't attend this virtual glastonbury thing Uh, it's a five-hour film and it will be presented as an uninterrupted production tracing the arc of what festival co-organizer Emily Evis calls one continuous wild night at the festival via (laughs) landmarks including the pyramid stage the stone circle and what is described here in this Guardian report by Laura Snipes as the notorious southeast nightclubbing corner strikes me as one of those I guess you had to be there type things I don't know but if we don't get Gemma Carney on this going to the circus or whatever it is she usually does in the BBC broadcast well then it's all for naught um, it's only 20 pounds 20 British pounds Greg um, which some people have said Emily Evis in an amazing <laughs> quote she was like we always try and keep the ticket price down some people yeah. said you could charge, charge 60, 60 we're pounds. like no <laughs> for a while we thought we could do it for free but actually we do need to have a ticket price and 20 pounds seems really reasonable for that many acts I love how she like has a conversation about capitalism with herself there in one in one perfect paragraph yeah um apparently they're hurting quite a bit um actually this is they're going to take a loss from putting this on as well the artists aren't taking a fee as is often the case at least with the um the major kind of headliners i think that's why they've kind of failed to get well they failed for kind of years to get the rolling stones because the rolling stones um you know famously quite a capitalist outfit they're like no no you'll have to pay us but um yeah, every time I hear about Glastonbury kind of finance and stuff, it seems incredible to me that it seems that it's almost like a kind of a charity affair, that it's like constantly running at a loss, paying far less than, you know, other acts would get. 
and yet it's this massive cultural thing um in britain at least i don't know i i, I can't see myself shelling out 20 quid for like i don't know i like glastonbury when it's on the tv it could be a fun saturday night the lineup isn't too thrilling although it's okay but 20 quid I mean, it could be 60 quid. <laughs> She's winning me over. Yeah, in fairness, she makes a, a, a compelling argument. Um, we, we're mindful of repeating ourselves on the show. It is difficult to talk about music and live music at this moment, given the pandemic. But just a quick update for, you know, because we're seeing the rollout of UK festivals quite a lot at the moment. And some of them are more appealing than others, I would, I would suggest. <laughs> um, but... Uh, with the UK doing a bang-up job on the vaccination front, um, there are other festivals very much going ahead, including Reading and Leeds and various others, but it looks like some sort of COVID vaccine passport system will have to be put into place, according to a report in the NME this week. Here's a quote from Melvin Benn, oh, who pops God. up on this show quite a lot. Yeah, he needs his own klaxon at this stage. I'm taking the Prime Minister at his word that from June, the legal restrictions will be off. And as he and the culture secretary have said, we're looking forward to a summer of fun. If it is cancelled, everyone gets a refund. That's pretty normal, but I'm certainly <laughs> anticipating it going ahead. So once again, defying to the last, Melvin Ben. These these festival organisers just totally gaslighting people with their little kind of like, yeah, it's kind of normal that you'd get a refund, I suppose. And you're, could have been 60 quid. What are they doing to us? <laughs> Our brains brilliant. are scrambled enough. Um, Melvin Ben has clarified that the festivals, uh, which are already sold out in the case of Reading and Leeds and various others, will have a dedicated COVID medical director and team on site. You'd fucking hope so. <laughs> and be bound by the same coronavirus safety protocols as bars and restaurants uh, attendees will quote almost certainly need to prove that they have been vaccinated using a digital health passport before being admitted uh, this is a thing that's being tested as a potential way to resume live events safely uh, how do you feel about this Craig and how do you feel about gigs in general I mean like something this week for example like for those I love sold at the Olympia Theatre in the space of almost no time at all off the back of his great debut album coming out and there's been a huge reaction to that and I had this weird thing where like I didn't I didn't get a ticket and I now have the ah oh, fuck I should have got a ticket thing but the reason I didn't get one is because I was like I don't know how I feel like th- this felt like the first tangible yeah it's a gig and it it's might a real happen. decision and yeah it, it was the first time I was faced with it I still just can't quite see it it's for the first of October in the Olympia I gotta figure it'll be moved. We don't know that. Who knows? Maybe like Simon Donnelly will have will have uh, Stephen Donnelly will it will, will have October, done his job. <laughs> I think we're gonna be okay. Do you? Yeah. That's, that's optimistic. I'm, maybe I'm getting. It comes in waves, Dave. You know, much like COVID. Um, <laughs> sure does. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, Rumors of a fourth. Yeah, maybe I'm just getting antsy, and I'm like, I think, I think if things can be done sensibly, I'm all for it. Although I, I fully expect when it comes to like an approaching gig date and it seems like it's happening and there's still some kind of you know there will of course be you know advice around if you feel like you should not attend blah 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 i can see it kind of like tightening up and going oh shit we're going back into the fray and everyone's going to have a small bit of added anxiety, added yeah. social anxiety on top of everything else because it's just it's been so bloody long precisely but look would it, would you feel better if you got the vaccination delivered into your system through your veins by an ex-boy band member from the UK. McFly? the alternative boy band. No, but their counterparts busted. Oh. Uh, Matt Willis of uh, of Busted fame and Emma Willis, his wife, who's a former Big Brother, Big Brother presenter. presenter yeah. 
have both completed training to administer coronavirus vaccines. I will say it's it's a good week in the British press here for the word coronavirus coming back. You know, that word's kind of fallen down quite a bit. COVID has really, like, put it in its place. But, you know, it rolls off the tongue. Um, I'm trying to bring China trained... virus back. That's me. <laughs> Please don't. He's joking, listener. We're not of that mindset on the show. Very progressive young men, aren't we, Craig? Thank you for clarifying uh, my comedy. Progressive, but not perhaps not quite as progressive as Matt Willis and Emma Willis, who are out there doing their bit. They trained with St. John Ambulance and can now give the COVID-19 injections to people in Hertfordshire after enrolling in the vaccination volunteer program. They reveal the news on Instagram with Matt saying, we did it, coming to a vaccination centre near you, which sounds more like a threat. Um, <laughs> this is the second medical qualification Emma Willis has completed in two years. Good for her. Yeah, fair play. Um, would you feel a bit weird if the day comes and you're there and you're expecting to see... Uh, like a, a man or a woman in a white coat, you know, a professional-looking human being, and the curtain gets rolled back, and it's Monday or something. You know, would that not be a bit <laughs> oh, of a wow. shock? Yeah, if it was Monday, yeah, I think so. Um, I thought you were going to hit me with the Matt Willis question, and I was like, uh, he seems like I don't know, might prefer Charlie Simpson if we're keeping it within the busted family. Um, yeah, I prefer Charlie Simpson for sure. It could be, you know, the better songs. You know, you, you might be so stunned that suddenly you're vaccinated, and you know just being a, a little prick like nothing ever happened and you can move on with your life but yeah no good for them i'm glad that like all those um rallying calls last year uh from the music industry being like put us to work you know use our venues use our people they're the best organizers in the world we can vaccinate people and like the british government was like yeah we'll take the basis from busted <laughs> and that's it <laughs> Um, yeah, as I said, mindful of not spending too much time in this particular mire. But so Craig has a story now to cheer us up about climate change. Craig, there's too many DJs, says a new report, <laughs> and that's kind of why I put the story in. There's this German organization, Clean Scene. Uh, it's focusing on international DJs in particular and uh, the impact they have on climate change. I love the report title. It's, it's called Last Night a DJ Took a Flight and it's described as exploring the carbon footprint of touring DJs and looking towards alternative futures within the dance music industry and some pretty startling figures. So they looked at um, Resident Advisor's top thousand DJs touring in 2019 over the course of a year and over the course of a year um, the amount of energy and fuel that they used was the equivalent of 20,000 households uh, would have powered 8,000 festivals for three days or pressed 25 million records. So, DJs, yeah. I guess when it's one guy, it's even more of a problem. I guess this is just a collective that is in with it, like within the dance community and is particularly kind of socially conscious and climate conscious. But, yeah. Yeah, and there was also some startling figures about like how skewed it is in terms of like the main DJs are using a huge percentage of that energy. Like I'm, you know, not to single anyone out, but I'm guessing like da- your David Guetta's, you know, your your G men, um, they're they're basically using the fuel of a small country. Worth it? Well, I'm, I I don't think so, but I will say that like. Don't worry, because now we have non-fungible tokens to also apparently destroy the world's resources. Uh, you've got a bit of a roundup on this one this week, don't you? You, you appear to be l- taking on the role of NFT correspondent, which I don't want, so <laughs> work away. I did see in a WhatsApp chat, there was a link sneaked in from someone um, talking about how Slipknot's clown was releasing a mask-based NFT, and you were just like... 
didn't respond or you might have responded saying you hate this era i hate this <laughs> did not add era it to the running order so i guess it's left uh for me Just like like slipknot betraying me on this one it's I, I i don't need them to be get involved in this shady underworld that i don't understand whatsoever but people keep saying yeah. it's not great betraying you betraying niels from who um released a new album this week so he's been doing some promo and he's you know usually a pretty mild-mannered dude but he was asked about nfts and um in the independent and he responded with incandescence he basically said that it's the most disgusting thing on the planet right now called out his fellow artist um said that you know even some of my heroes like aphex twin are selling sorry crap for a hundred and thirty thousand bucks it's unforgivable unforgivable to participate in something which is so bleak and wrong and yeah a lot of artists seem to be doing this uh gorillas were celebrating the 20th anniversary of their debut uh, announced a bunch of releases and stuff this week along with some nft stuff like art collectibles i'm not even sure what the point of it is at this point but it was a company super plastic doing it in collaboration with them that's releasing this nft collection and the fans of gorillas and damon albarn were immediately like of course you released an album 2009 called plastic beach warning about like the impact uh on the environment you know just climate change obviously these tokens are fueled by bitcoin which has to be mined and takes up huge amounts of again not to be stat man on this but apparently bitcoin uses more energy than the entirety of ireland um i think gorillas themselves weren't actually attached to this it's kind of slightly out of hands but who knows Lindsay lowen has a song out on nft called lullaby that's where we're out she's uh she's been talking a big game though she spoke to forbes and she said uh, uh th- this rising new format will soon be used by everyone in hollywood and beyond which just sounds dangerous uh maybe we will see the tokenization of movies and ha- of how artists are paid for their films music and art i can see a future where crypto nfts and blockchain will be the norm rather than the exception uh, feels like a real steampunk I, kind of dystopian future doesn't it yeah i missed the meeting where she turned into the new steve jobs but fair play to her uh, fair play as well to Lil nas x he's having a big week craig what's up with him um, so uh, yeah unfortunately for Lil nas x um nike has filed a trademark infringement lawsuit against the company that produced a line of satan shoes in collaboration with nas x and the reason i put this in was so i could have the headline nike don't likey Lil nas x is satan shoes course you could also read it that does as work better on like don't right, like yeah. <laughs> i don't know dude it's been a long short week that's how i amuse myself but he's going to be fine all right he's making lots of jokes about it on twitter which kind of started his whole career so you know the circle is complete yeah and his new song is being hailed as a zeitgeist moment for him in particular as one in which i think he confronts you know his sexuality and oh really I've his 14 this completely year old passed yeah. me by the important part <laughs> of the <laughs> little <laughs> yeah he's got a new song he's got a new song it's called montero um and it is yeah montero call me by your name and in the video he like slides down a stripper pole into hell twerks for the devil and then snaps the devil's neck Beautiful. you know emphasizing his control over you know his sexuality essentially and a lot of people are very happy there was also there was a moment where uh, some people were saying that he ripped off fk twigs a cellophane video he made a post about it and i guess he talked to her because she put up a post as well and she was like thanks for your you know thanks for like your gentle honesty in the conversation we had and he shouted her out and was like she's amazing she deserves more respect and love from the industry i don't think it was a intended rip-off it was like there are similarities but like they're both very much like good art inspires good art and um there was a good article actually in vulture by craig jenkins about lil nas x's new song and his persona and his image and also contrasting it with like cardi b and megan the stallion and how 
a lot of people in America in particular are calling for like doing the usual kind of pearl clutching stuff, you know, and like, you know, shame on them and like, oh, our children's futures are being warped and blah, 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 while missing the point entirely. And if anything, all it's doing is helping these artists actually like obtain massive fan bases at a time when a lot of young people would identify with them uh, in a much, hopefully much more, you know, accessible and quote unquote safer time to yeah. do so. Obviously, everything is very, very specific, but I mean, like, um, yeah, I mean, like, we're, we're, we're a long way off now from Old Town Road, which, in fairness, Lil Nas X himself did point out while while having kind of chats with Joyner Lucas that he was like, even that song wasn't for the kids necessarily. There was a lot more going on in there than people probably paid attention to in those lyrics. It's so, like pop music um, since pop music started, you know. There's always going to be a thing, isn't there? Yeah. There's always going to be like a, like a cultural, like a Joe Duffy moment in music, you know. Nike don't good. likey. It's a good joke, Craig. I do appreciate it. I didn't get it on the page, but now I do, and thank you for that. What it's you could say, Craig, is that, that really brought it to life. I find absolutely spellbinding. I mean, you could say that with that joke, right? I failed at understanding it. I failed to comprehend it. And if you want a podcast all about failure and how you pick yourself up from that, and maybe have a good story to tell, check out this show on the Heads of Podcast Network. Hello, I'm Emma Jane from Fail Harder, the podcast that chats to people at the top of their game about failure, from their first memory of failure to how they cope with it now. I have some unbelievable guests on the show, like Paul Meskel, James Cavanagh, Georgina Campbell, the list just goes on. And of course, we'd be mad to take failure too seriously, so every week I have 20 questions in front of me, numbered at random. Most are straightforward, however, some are a little more unconventional and in the spirit of failure, my guest can pick the numbers. They might not like the results, but life's not fair and neither is my podcast. Time now for an album review. It's the return of the Antlers after seven years in the wilderness. Apart from that time, they came to Dublin and made me cry. This album is called Green to Gold and this song is called Green to Gold. some indeed but Craig who are the Antlers ah the Antlers (laughs) I love the Antlers Uh, they're an indie outfit out of uh, Brooklyn New York and they're kind of indebted variously to confessional singer songwriters bit of post rock gently and jazz they're not ones to shy away from you know meaty difficult concepts that might make Dave and maybe me and David Higgins cry. <laughs> and I think, yeah, they're unconfirmed probably... Reports. Unconfirmed reports. Unconfirmed, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know if he cried. Uh, yeah, very very much responsible for, you know, breaking and mending more fragile muso hearts around the world than you could imagine. If you take all the emo bands under the sun, I don't think they add up to the devastating emotional weight of the Antlers. Like, I did see their um, their album, Hospice, kind of semi- semi-jokingly described as the saddest album of all time there recently. And yeah, it's a hell of an album. And the band itself... Centered around uh, Peter Silberman, who took the name uh, from a microphones track, and he kind of comes from that Phil Elverum school of like intimacy songs of a vulnerability that like verge on the operatic at times. It was a bedroom project uh, started in two thousand and six, but uprooted. He brought in multi instrumentalist Darby Chichi and uh, drummer Michael Lerner on board for the next album. 
Then we got the aforementioned uh, 09 breakthrough with hospice, which kind of employed this harrowing tale of a hospice worker and a terminal cancer patient as like a stand-in for an emotionally abusive relationship and somehow kind of earned that story and it it didn't seem too much. Um, It was a lot. Burst Apart then followed, kind of added some backbone and bounce and some kind of pop nods, even among songs that were called stuff like Every Night My Teeth Are Falling Out. 2014's Familiars was the last Hunter's record we got so far. Um, personal kind of soft spot for it. It's just gorgeous kind of reverby guitar work, latticed with these wonderful horns. It's really warm. Have great kind of summer memories of that record when it came out. Um, although it's ostensibly an autumnal record. And that could have been it uh, because after that tour um, and turning attention to kind of future writing, Silverman found that his hearing was rapidly deteriorating. Um, and more specifically, he couldn't like stand his own voice. He he got medical advice and he was diagnosed with uh, tinnitus, which is bad enough, but also hyperacusis, which is like increased sensitivity. And then a weird kind of form of Meniere's disease as well. So he was kind of faced with a choice of like, giving up music or trying to find a new way to kind of sing and play and try not to aggravate his condition. It has thankfully since improved. He he chose to leave Brooklyn. He kind of went upstate. He was living in a peaceful cabin. He came back with a a debut solo album, Impermanence, in 2017, which was kind of like sketches, really. Uh, It was a fine effort. It was, you know... It was probably a record that was hushed because it had to be hushed and it seemed like, you know, tentative at best whether he'd be able to release anything that lived under the Antlers banner again. So it's a real joy to see Green to Gold's arrival. Um, Darby Chichi's no longer on board. Learner's still keeping time um, away from the city. And yeah, the story of this record is, you know, a two-year creation uh, as he kind of worked around his normal life upstate New York. Uh, lots of writing apparently on kind of sunny mornings, sessions in between doing the dishes, walking the dog, just most importantly, kind of making the music fit with his life now and kind of created, I guess, on hard mode, um, which you wouldn't really tell from the serenity of the record. And yeah, um, it's, it's, you know, it's a lot to kind of bring criticism to bear on records in general. I mean, I think we'd both say even, you know, um, people putting out bad art with the intent, you know, with good intention should be applauded. Antlers deliver kind of exquisitely uh, devastating art and obviously he's faced a lot of kind of obstacles so it kind of for me anyway feels like it's going to be tough to dissect a record um, and then particularly lob a score on it later it seems to be kind of missing the point it's an age-old debate we have but I guess tell me your experience of living with the record this past week particularly with the sun I, out for a bit uh, guns out uh, the hope yeah, of spring I, I, I c- <laughs> <laughs> Keep going, uh, Robert Frost over here, <laughs> yeah. everybody. I um, I I I echo what you said. I find this one extremely difficult to put a score on and to talk about critically. And I was dreading doing this review for that reason. And I was hopeful that maybe you would have a different approach. But yeah, we're probably both in the same ballpark here. Um, Sorry. Peter Silvan has described this uh, this album as Sunday morning music, and I mean to me, it's more like very dusky. It's well, as as Antlers so often are, and it's a classic. Yet another round of. I'm going to need more time with this. It's going to announce itself to me when it wants to. And I feel like it's probably tailor-made for summer evenings on the porch with a beer in a rocking chair, looking out over the, you know, the crystal blue waters. Your rocking chair has <laughs> arrived, has it? <clears throat> from Ikea. Took, took, uh, took me fucking ages to assemble it, dude. Um, So essentially, I kind of feel like... Oh God, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, like, with this one... Unlike, say, some of the other Antlers records, and it also should be noted as well that 
we were re- we were referencing a, a gig in the Sugar Club about two or three years ago now at this yeah, stage, yeah. and even though we got in late-ish, uh, the support act was still on, but like all the seats were gone, and there was very few places to chill, so we were like standing in the sideway, and it was also incredibly hot in that room. It was fucking roasting. And it was a pin drop gig. Mm. You know, even going to the bar, you were like, oh God, I'm going to like make noise with getting this point and I don't want to be that guy. It was it was acoustic. It was just three guys on stage, including like their touring or support act uh, joining them for the show. And it was genuinely a transcendent experience, I think, even with all of those barriers in mm-hmm. the way. It was heart shattering and incredible. And when you get to some of the tracks off hospice in particular like like epilogue as well you're gone <laughs> yeah it was it was it was incredible it was it was one of the best gigs i've ever been to but even that doesn't like doesn't feel like you don't put accolades on antlers it's they're not that kind of act um all that said with green to gold um i find this a strange experience because there's not really like when the first single which was wheels roll home came out a few months ago i remember sending it to higgs and he was kind of like i'm not really getting much from this and i was like yeah me neither i was like it's fine i wonder how it'll be in the context of the album didn't really check out the subsequent stuff because i wanted to wait for the record i knew it was coming out at the end of march so i didn't have too long to wait and on this album on these 10 tracks um i mean with the exception of the intro and the outro there's not really much here that stands out in and of itself and i don't think that's necessarily a problem i think it is an album I think it is a start to finish. I think it is meant to be lived with, lived in, experienced. And I found that very hard to do this week, particularly with longer days and the sun being out and just lots of distractions and doing stuff for the podcast. And yeah. I've, I haven't had that moment, that perfect headphones listen like at night just yet. So with that in mind, I feel almost very underqualified to really review this one as i've said already but at the same time i think it's clear that it's not a classic i think it's clear that it's not a a a quote-unquote great antlers record it might unlock itself that way over time i think if you compare it directly to something like hospice it 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 doesn't quite stand up at the same time i'm i really don't want to damn with faint praise and be like it's just good to have them back there's clearly a lot of stuff happening on here and as ever you're in the company of an incredibly beautiful voice, some very, very considered songwriting, you know, depthful lyrics and incredible atmosphere. But yeah, I'm 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 finding it hard to work out the kinks of this one. Is it a bit too plain and simple? Is it a bit too clean? Or is it just I this is not the right atmosphere? Even as I look at the window right now, it's still bright while recording the podcast, which I haven't been used to for a long time. And yeah. like it's almost like and also with the For Those I Love album come out on the same day as well and the excitement of that and a totally different kind of record and a more propulsive experience perhaps no less personal but it's they've been they've fallen victim to distraction which is no fault of their own and it's clearly a good album but how good it is i have no idea yeah it's by no means immediate even by antler standards and yeah i'm the same boat as yourself in terms of like i knew halfway through my first listen that like the patented five full listens wouldn't cut it to begin with and even now after like plenty more I'm kind of likening likening it to um some latter day talk talk maybe it's, you know laughing stock where you have this very pastoral pleasant kind of bucolic piece of work that's very subtle it takes some work on your part to kind of like allow it to eventually creep up on you and really then hopefully cross over to the transcendent in the case of those talk talk records this hasn't crossed over uh, to the transcendent uh, by any means for me yet I think that's maybe only a problem because 
like Antler's previous work so readily did that. Um, I think fans should be like, if you haven't heard it yet, be cautiously very excited because, you know, I'd love to come back at the end of the summer, same as yourself and say like how it sat with me all this time. Um, maybe not an immediate first recommend to a newcomer. I think sonically it's probably, we're back in Antler's territory. It's pitched somewhere between the hushed approach of impermanence, but also the kind of lushness of familiars, which is really nice. And I think a track like It Is What It Is might sum it up where that's the one that I think gets the closest to familiar's lushness. It's maybe the best example of like the old fan uh, newcomer split because it became a real highlight for me. Uh, I think just really interesting musical stuff going on there. But I think it's easily dismissed for a kind of like for a seemingly surface trite uh, sentiment in the hook. And there's a lot of that kind of simplified Zen like stuff going on that you really need to work with. Like it's obviously that phrase. It is what it is then becomes completely transformed going from like a cliche to knowingly loaded if you know the antlers backstory the catalogue all of the challenges i guess the question becomes like should you need to know that maybe with the context context of the rest of the records that will become apparent for people but it does require light kind of work very pleasant enjoyable work um but yeah it took like even a a few uh full listens before melodies were coming back to me you know, one of the first things that stood out to me, I have to admit, is um, Volunteers Refrain. And that was just because the first two sustained notes of the chorus are the same as the chorus of My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. I got over that and it gives me like butterflies now. But like that was where I was at, where it was kind of pleasantly washing over me. Like it's the tempo steady throughout. It's a leisurely kind of boat ride pace. Um, I kept thinking as well, like... Is there a lack of some, you know, percussion here because it would jar with his hearing? Is his is he altering his singing slightly to accommodate uh, his new way of kind of living? I'm sure there's a bit of that there. If if he came back with like Hospice Part Two, I would be gravely concerned for the bloke. So, and he's painted those kind of dark masterpieces. I like. I don't think he needs to go back there. I think like what he needed to create was this, you know sunshine kind of serenity and it's daring in its own way right because it's like it's his response to like this potentially career and like life altering obstacle um and he's chosen to kind of double down on the zen uh which i interviewed him around the time of familiars coming out and even then he was talking about how he didn't really like life on the road he was seeking out kind of some form of normality uh he was kind of longing for finding a place where he could return every day and this was before all the kind of chaos of what happened to him. So it seems like he took that opportunity. It's going really well for him. And so for me, it's like, you know, with that investment, when I hear kind of like the mantric kind of assured message of wheels roll home, I'm like, oh, he's found that place. You, um, like, And you hear the kind of the place he's in, the cricket sounds, the summer home that opens record. It's like you're, you're being led into this silence he's been experienced. And it's just, it's really good from that kind of respect. But it's it's definitely lacking... It's lacking the kind of writerly, like, fantastical narratives of um, even just revisited or palace from familiars, certainly kind of hospice and burst apart. Um, I do think, like, channeling that Zen joy is an extremely tough brief artistically, right? It's so hard for people to do that kind of music um, because you're trying to capture it and share it with people possibly not in that headspace. You lose the kind of dramatic peaks and troughs, like the narrative trust of like, you know, sorrow, anger, heartbreak, all those extreme periods. And for sure, even sonically, there's less kind of dynamics at play here. You know, the builds and the kind of spectacular payoffs we're used to from Antlers. 
isn't really there but it's like it's not a record about culminations it's about kind of continuation doing the work that helps you kind of keep going for hopefully a long time to come um it's really working for me though like it's you know that did sound a bit like damning it with faint praise but i'm really enjoying it and i'm i'm liking the low-key vibe it's very well put together there's a delicate understated grace to it all he's a bit of a master it's a steady hand his voice as you say is absolutely angelic and yeah i'm just going to trust in the process and let it kind of unfold itself and hopefully unfold me a bit um there's a lot there to dig into but at this moment in time like as a recommendation and to have to put a number on it it's like i don't know a magnificent seven and an inconsequential seven that for fans will hopefully blossom to an ace or a real summer album and yeah tritely saying good to have them back yeah i think ultimately over the calendar year it'll age well i think it could be a contextual thing time of the season that kind of stuff and ultimately craig if we can winter this one out it's a seven out of ten so uh, it's top five time. Before we get there, as Craig ruefully shakes his head at my wonderful referencing, a reminder that, of course, you can always support this show and my capacity for references via patreon.com slash noencore. We greatly appreciate the support of everyone who has supported us so far. Please continue to do so. And as with general kind of word of mouth the show, tell your friends, get people involved. Maybe they want to hear what Kanye West's best songs are. As ever, a quick disclaimer. These are our shouts for favourites, I guess, slash best. We're not trying to make a definitive no, no. line in the No, no, these are the greatest. <laughs> okay, you're so dead right, no you're dead right. Without question. <laughs> Infallible opinions coming up. Um, before we get going, Craig, um, anything to say about the man? You mentioned Peter Silverman. You said, I believe you said, understated, delicate, graceful. Now, I think that those elements are present in Kanye West music, but I think for a lot of people, he's quite brash. He's outspoken. He's perhaps obnoxious. He steals the spotlight. Why do you love him so much, Craig? Um, I love him for his art, first and foremost. I think he's our generation's Prince or Bowie. I think we're lucky to have him when you look at that body of work. Um, it's just fantastic. But also, as a personality, brash for sure, but also vulnerable. Um, and I always felt like his braggadocia was never at the expense of other people. He's come under a lot of criticism, of course, in recent years. We don't need to fill everyone in on like all that has happened um and maybe that's clouded some people's kind of uh, enjoyment of the music but i think you know as a guy he has a certain empathy combined with that megalomania that is quite unique it allows his music to be like as he's quoted himself saying before like that kind of shot of espresso in the morning you need to kind of get up and go and it's quite liberating um He's just a fascinating character, like culturally as well, on top of everything, right? There's no one quite like him. I don't know if there's ever been anyone quite like him. And he's here at the same time as us. It's kind of beautiful. Yeah, I agree. And with that in mind, we'll get we'll get it kicked off. Uh, I'll go first. Okay. So like we say, this, these are our sheds for best Kanye West song slash favorite. Uh, Craig might challenge my first inclusion here, but let's find out. You feel like people dislike you. that song is called I Feel Like That and it's actually technically unreleased it was actually never really properly released so am I cheating oh, here Craig? You. Probably You're not cheating but I'm just annoyed that you've already won up me in the hipster <laughs> Kanye fan stakes I need was to recover quickly um, 
I do know you have a great love for this song and it is baffling that it remained unreleased. There's many baffling yeah. things about Kanye's career decisions, I guess. Tell us about it, Dave. Well, it's an extremely powerful song. So it's called I Feel Like That. It was essentially like when the song All Day came out, it was it had an accompanying video directed by Steve McQueen. And in it, it rolls into this song afterwards. Like it was a long kind of thing. And Kanye's in this kind of warehouse um, and he becomes tired. And then I Feel Like That comes along. And to me, it's one of the most incredible expressions of mental health and struggles and mental illness and ownership and loss and all of that together and i think kanye has that throughout his catalog but this is so bare and so beautiful Uh, i'm going to quote now from an article in noisy in 2016 titled one of the most powerful kanye west songs is one you've probably not heard Uh, so it, it notes that like the guy starts off by saying that if you picture his kanye's kind of prince like vault of music you know that presumably has so many unfinished and unrealized projects with all kinds of people yeah that might never see the light of day he says uh, placed right above all of his treasures is the usb stick contained the final mastered version of i feel like that this is his greatest unreleased triumph the video begins with west collapsed on the floor of what looks like a once dilapidated now refreshed warehouse panting for breath the heavy exhuming pattern of his breathing could be mistaken for an athlete perhaps in the moment when a race has been completed and physical restoration is necessary then he starts to talk and it's clear what he's experiencing is less of a recovery from physical activity and more a demonstration of what it feels like attempting to breathe through mental exhaustion in the first verse alone west recounts a pristine list of symptoms from a range of panic anxiety and mental disorders as the track continues making its way through a second and third verse he asks more questions uh, ultimately directing the listener or himself um, the chorus begins and a great confident moment of self-affirmation strolls into view I feel like that he repeats I feel like that all the time the article closes by saying in the wake of insensitive conjectures about West's own mental health I feel like that is an act of blowing opinion open and wearing it candidly more so it tunes the myriad of symptoms surrounding mental health into a bold unabashed artistic monument that one of this generation's most visible artists let alone a rapper recorded this track is symbolic of the pathways that have started to open up in the global conversation regarding mental health which makes it a shame that this song didn't see an official release Uh, there are numerous songs in Kanye West's discography that are just as important as this one if not more and for a multitude of different reasons but there's something about the way I feel that that provokes thought that feels paramount to music's potential to inform or affect one's worldview it presents the idea that these feelings of alienation of self-doubt of panic of loneliness of being unable to breathe or eat or sleep or even think aren't just normal but are emotions that can be approached plain and direct rather than being skirted around i feel like that achieves a look into the mind of another or a necessary insight into the listener's own it stands firmly at the pinnacle of why music can be so powerful now i know i've used the words of another journalist there for quite a bit rather than my own but honestly he fucking nailed it it's a beautiful piece it's a beautiful song and i have felt all of those experiences all of those emotions while listening to it you can get it technically it's on youtube you know you'll find versions of it <laughs> deep coast you most, have to go to youtube yeah, and search it, it's, it's modern living it's not, <laughs> it's not it's not the most accessible it was on vimeo for a while the full video and it's a beautiful video as well so revealing so raw and stark and perfect and amazing and i remember i recall a few years ago i recall a new year's eve when um i'm not a big new year's eve guy i'm not a big christmas guy i find it to be a tough time of the year and i recall one new year's eve in particular in my old house where like i didn't go out for it and i didn't do anything for it because i don't usually and i remember i had poured myself like a whiskey and i put 
this song on to like mark it going into midnight and I just like had a candle going and I was listening to that on repeat and I was blaring it in my head and it made me feel better. Uh, it is one of those songs that I do find to be just extremely powerful, extremely strong and yet another riposte to any ridiculous argument that Kanye West is not deserving of empathy because he's an empathetic artist yeah. and a track like this, which spells it out so brilliantly, is just one perfect piece of evidence why it's a fucking beautiful song and i wish it was more readily available you might never have heard it please go check it out it feels like it was setting the stage for um yay uh as it so happened like i know it was taken from the so help me god era like you know that's a kind of there's so many eras as well and albums that never really got made and we moved on to kind of the life of pablo but yeah it's just him saying i feel like that allows the listener to go oh, maybe I feel like that too, and say it and let it be okay. And that's a hugely important thing. And he 100% realizes that. And that's why he puts himself out there a lot of the time. Of course, also because he likes getting it off his chest, but it's just, you know, he does have a kind of symbiotic two-way relationship with his fans, which is a big talking point of late. Like with artists, how much do we, are we wrapped up in what we know of them and how little we know of them? But even removed from the personality of Kanye West and the person himself, just that statement alone and the bravery to kind of say it out loud. And if that helps someone, it's well worth it. Uh, yeah, I really like that one. And a completely finished song as well, which is like, like I really dig stuff like Law of Attraction, which became used this gospel, um, which isn't as good. But I remember us listening to that on the Yandy kind of mix that had just dropped. And we're like, this next album's going to be tremendous. And then like... Jesus started doing the laundry and he tra- changed the entire album. We're like, no, no, no. But this one is fully formed, good to go. And nope, uh, the magic of Kanye, I guess. Okay. My number five is Trip Back to the Summer of 2012. Um, and I think it was the start of some Young Money, uh, Cash Money beef. But mainly it's kind of a post-Dark Fantasy victory lap that was still kind of bristling enough to hint at like some of the unrest to come in every regard like that a guy go when it's mercy you lie go from working mcdonald's belly paying a condo he even got enough to get his mama a condo then they ran up and shot him right in front of his mom 40 killers in a week and 40 killers in a week man a summer too high you can feel it in the street Welcome to Sunday service. If you hope to Sunday service, we got green in our eyes. Just follow my egg sermon. Did Moses not part the water with the cane? Did strippers not make her art when I made it rain? Did Yeezy not get signed by Hoven Damon? Ran to Jacob and made the new Jesus chain. New Godflow there, yeah. Just colossal. Uh, <laughs> produced by Kanye uh, with some help from Boogs and Tapes, I believe. Um, Anthony Kilhoffer. It's, yeah, such a good production overall, I think. Like, I love that Ghostface Killer um, cribbed line that's kind of the hook from Mighty Healthy. And he actually appeared on a a longer version of the song that ended up on Cruel Summer. Um, Did a bang-up job, unsurprisingly. But that said, I think this is all about Kanye West and Pusha T on this. Like, they just bounce off each other with such kind of clear delight. There's literally howls of delight as they kind of trade bars at one, one point. And it's like, it's like they're riding around in a muscle car, just r- running it into the ground. Um, total flow state stuff. I love that piano thing. It's just opulent enough to be like the succession team which is like how did Pusha T end up not doing a good job over that but um <laughs> he did grace us it's with debatable, this and you know if if you want to play the next clip um he graced us with what i think is one of the greatest openings of all time Somebody. 
I believe there's a God above me. I'm just the God of everything else. I'll put holes in everything else. New God flow, fuck everything else. Supreme dope dealer. Yeah, push. I had to include that. There was no way to stitch them together. It was like they were so far apart in the track. But I was like, I got to get Push's opening in there. It's bulletproof. I almost want to stop recording the podcast and just go and listen because it's that good. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. I love those two together. Um, I think, you know, the Kanye and Push T relationship has been a constant since good music emerged. It seems like quite a healthy kind of generous relationship. And, um, you know, we talk a lot about how Kanye can bring out the best in other artists in a musical sense and in the studio. He's mastered that. But I think Push T brings out the best in Kanye for sure. And this track to me, like 2012, feels way ahead of its time. Maybe, unfortunately, like I think if he had released this, say, you know, a year or so ago when there was a lot of Ferrari around, um, you know, what he was up to, if Push and him came out with this, the messages in it, like this is seven or eight years before you had lots of white European hipsters on Twitter giving out to Kanye for, you know, daring to run for president in his own country. Um, but, you know, here he's clearly well aware of the African-American cause. There's some great push lines, you know, um, pretty impactful lines step on the necks till they can't breathe claim their five stars but they sell your dreams um there's some great lines about yeezy jumping over the jump man early you know nods to that rest in peace to whitney houston again foreshadowing the use of like that photo of her bathroom really kind of grimy thing on daytona um you know summer 2018 and even like that hook of like you can feel it in the streets uh summer being too hot donald glover childish gambino dropping that track that nods to it feels like somewhere around about the time everyone was saying Childish Gambino was doing what Kanye West should be doing um which leads me to think that maybe he kind of was was giving a nod to you know what Kanye was saying for years and I just love the kind of righteous anger this I love how he was back on top at this point uh he'd won everyone back around but this was clearly him getting into his bag of like you know soon as they like you make them unlike you and him just realising, listen, there's still a lot of problems with this fucking world and I'm mad as hell and I'm going to make a sick beat and get pushy tea on it as fucking tremendous. All right. Number four for me. Um, it took me a while. I've said it before in the show. I, I was very dismissive of Kanye for quite some time. It took me a while to come around to him. We might get to that later. But I will say that, unfortunately, my ignorance led me to miss out on a lot of Kanye's kind of, you know, I guess, formative eras while it was happening so here is i guess the pinnacle example of that at number four for me no use me trying to be lying i've been trying to be signed trying to be a millionaire how i use two lifelines in the same hospital with biggie smalls died the doctor said i had blood clots but i ain't jamaican man story on mtv and i ain't trying to make a band i swear this right here history in the making man i really apologize to everyone right now if, if it's unclear at all man they got my mouth that is of course Through the Wire his debut single from his debut album The College Dropout and as he himself mentions quite a bit on the song he recorded this song with his jaw wired (laughs) shut so uh, on October 23 2002 Kanye West was in a California recording studio producing music for other artists including the Black Eyed Peas Uh, after leaving the studio at around 3 in the morning he had a rented Lexus and he had a near fatal accident when he was cut off by a car ran head-on to into traffic, collided with another car near a hotel. He was taken to hospital and basically had his jaw, like, sewn up because he was in an extremely bad way. 
Um, the song style refers to the wires used to hold this broken jaw together. When asked about how this incident changes music, Kanye West said, well, the only thing about the accident that, that the accident is saying is, I'm about to hand you the world. Just know at any given time I can take it away from you. To nearly lose your life, to nearly lose your mouth, your voice, your whole face as a rapper. And I have to be on TV. My face looks crazy to me now, but I have to just thank God for the situation that I am in. Through the wire is the worst thing that could have possibly happened to me. And now it's obviously the best thing. Look how it, ex- how it exploded. I remember... Um, being in a friend's house around this time around like 2003 2004 and this song kind of playing on the music channels and i remember my friend telling me that story and i was you know like i was like wow that's really interesting and you know i just didn't quite tune in or pay attention i think again i was working in like extra for a while and like tracks like this and slow jams were on the box every now and then and yeah. i just it just wasn't working for me i just wasn't really feeling it i was going through a pretty big emo and new metal phase still at the time so i think i hadn't really kind of even properly given hip-hop a chance so um and then yeah it was years later that i would finally get into kanye properly and i mean this is an incredible song i mean it's iconic right it's yeah. the incredible motif about it the story behind it that album is full of stories i love last call i think that's on there as well mm-hmm. um him telling his actual story in like 12 minutes but you go back to this one and it's weird i mean like in one respect he feels like a different person but it does feel like an amazing opening chapter right yeah yeah he's um definitely evolved in various ways but there's clear true lines there um the braggadocia but also like a lot of the humor as well which is just so so good um this might have been the first kanye song i heard outside of like production stuff on you know jay-z's the blueprint and being aware kind of of his name and him you know being sick with the beats but not really knowing him as an artist incredible to think as well that like he was going to the likes of jay-z and being like i want to be a rapper i want to be you know behind the mic and jay-z being like i don't think you have a buddy and he's like no i'm gonna do it even though you're my absolute idol and you don't think i have any talent and then he gets in this fucking car crash that fucks his vocal ability up even further and he uses that which is just amazing um but actually do you know what i do just considering we're in this era i've dug up the first ever interview I read of Kanye West, right? Is that a copy of Q magazine? Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> there, oh my god! Can, sorry, it can is. you can you please can can you give us like the the publication date and what's on the front cover? Craig yep. is holding it aloft in his hand. It's a very will, it's it's an amazing scene. You will be surprised to hear there was um, a list featuring prominently in this issue of Q. It was September two thousand and four, and it was the the thousand and ten songs you must own. I think the hook was. Um, it was enough songs to fill an iPod because there's an iPod on the cover and compiled by Foo Fighters, Keen, Basement Jacks, Katie Melua, uh, The Roots, Lucinda Williams, T- Tim Westwood, Blink-182 and more. And, That's a murderous yeah, the Libertines, right there. The Libertines uh, inside Britain's most dangerous band and an interview with Kanye West. And I remember fucking reading it and I wasn't sure about him. It was called The Ego Has Landed, of course. <laughs> the sub is understatement and Kanye West do not go together he claims to be the future of music and he's recreating the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in his dining room and just having a scan through it it's like classic like backpacker Kanye so he's described as arriving at the restaurant uh, of Amsterdam's American Hotel Natalie dressed in a lime green blazer Pringle jumper and pressed jeans he's shortish around 5'9 softly spoken and polite even to two Larry Dutch autograph hunters who catch him unawares with a mouthful of lettuce. So a nice guy. Then later on in the piece, he's um he's hanging out with Dame Dash in London. 
and Dame Dash is like half promoting him, half recording an MTV Cribs episode where he's just rented a big gaff in London to pretend like he lives there, right? So he talks them into letting like Kanye, who they, they don't know who Kanye is, but like just let him kind of walk around with me and we'll get him some promo. And Kanye's like sheepishly following around Dame Dash in this rented gaff. And there's a moment where uh, it goes, let's see. As Dash shows MTV round his kitchen, uh, the interviewer asks West if he can cook. Um, I can cook cereal, he mumbles. Kanye knows how to cook beets, <laughs> says Dash. <laughs> Quick as a flash. <laughs> a frown crosses Kanye's brow. <laughs> it's just classic stuff like that. So immediately I was like, well, this guy is interesting. Uh, he seems quite conceited, but there was something there. And yeah, then I just I got the record off the back of that and completely fell in love. But yeah, that was it. Thank you, Q Magazine. All right, let's go into my number four. And it's quite smoothly into it because we're in the same era. Back to where it all began. This is one of the sweetest, yet kind of scrappiest Kanye songs. Have a listen. manager insults me again i will be assaulting him after i fuck the manager up then i'm gonna shorten the register up let's go back back to the gap look at my check what and no scratch so if i stole what am i fault yeah i stole never get yeah spaceship from the same album um dave would this have helped you out in your extra vision days could you empathize with a situation in the gap i didn't necessarily want to beat the shit out of my manager no but, but I, I you know the release of energy of the fantastic yeah, sure. i will say like, I, I love I love first of all I love that you set this up as one of his sweeter songs and then you have that lyrical section but also I do love his <laughs> his delivery of assaulting him is tremendous yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's so clever and yeah it's just a really really nice way of putting it I suppose um, yes but for the record I, I got on very well with everyone I worked with throughout every job I've ever had thank you <laughs> every job okay yeah every single job do you know what this is i think this is slightly slept on um definitely i think it's kind of a blueprint for a really successful strain of his career because it's just like charting his rise the adversity but it's it deals with that kind of hypocrisy and everyday kind of power structures and stuff there's almost a link to new god flow as well he just kind of sees a lot of i don't know nonsense around him uh hypocrisy and he kind of his self-belief can power him through the kind of small-minded nastiness that surrounds him and yeah i said kind of sweetest because for sure like he's (laughs) there's a lot of humor in this obviously he's not assaulting anyone um the next kind of few bars are him talking about how like when some black people walk in they like haul him out and he's like oh now they love kanye let's put them all in the front of the store and it's just again his cadence is like hilarious um it's very relatable it's the kind of backpack hip-hop thing it's you know an origin adversarial story but it's taking place in a shopping mall and while you have those bars of him talking about how he's going to show them all and become all conquering the chorus then is like him like faltering kind of brilliantly singing nervously this absolute peach of like an original melody uh it's almost from the same universe as like a you know when you wish upon a star kind of thing it's like a lullaby almost for everyone who's listening who's having a shitty time and needs it there's such kind of longing in the lines and i think that distinguished him and separated him from the kind of braggadocia in a lot of hip-hop so that was why i picked this one in particular and it's a great example as with the last track of like that sped up chipmunk kind of soul um i love the marvin Gaye sample 
but also it's not kind of the heart of the hook it's just augmenting everything it's like the kind of entire history of soul music is just kind of willing him on in a story so yeah that's my number four that's a great one yeah i mean that's there are so many songs you go onto like like a spotify playlist or whatever like it's I remember a friend of the show, Joshua Hughes, made one before and just had like a goat emoji as the the thing and a photo of Kanye looking at his phone and smiling. And it's like so long. I'm like, Josh, this is like, there's too much on this. And he was like, they're all great, man. (laughs) (laughs) So matter of fact, what can I do? My hands are tied. But yeah, but you're right. Like there are some ones that just kind of get buried, I suppose, to a degree. Um, I wasn't expecting you to pick this one. And I think it's a really, really nice shout. So, I mean, it was this... Was it straight in or did you kind of, did you struggle over it? Because I, I found this hard, of course, to get this down to five. Very yeah. much so. Yeah, I had a I had a pretty solid top 10. Although having said that, like my top 20 leaves out some absolute Stone Cold classics as well. But yeah, I had a 10 that I was happy with. And I think this one got there because, as I say, it's a little slept on. I think it's a starting point for a brand of Kanye's music that it's important to kind of put it in there as one of the 10 polls. That was my thinking. And yeah, such a sweet listen. Okay, uh, from from sweetness and light to Kanye at his most, I would say, focused when it comes to rage. Um, I initially cut this clip and then I was like, no, hang on. There's a live version of this that is just unbelievable. So we'll hear from that one right now at my number three. No slaves! So before I uh, hit record today on this show, I put up an Instagram post of me recording and I said, top five Kanye West songs out on the show tomorrow. Got a few responses, including John Barker of Totally Irish 98 FM, nice. who said, uh, will you have anything from Jesus in there? And I was like, I will. Absolutely. But which one? <laughs> Barkman spot course, on. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, in fairness, I would have expected myself to go with Black Skinhead, a song that really kind of supercharged me into Kanye's world when I first when I first heard it. But I'm going with New Slaves here, which I think is the better song and an incredible piece of work. Wow. Can you identify can you identify that live performance where it's from? Um I it actually, is a different take, obviously yeah, with the vocals there. Yeah, it's Charlie Wilson, and, isn't it? Um Charlie Wilson's with them, yeah. Charlie Wilson. I can't really put my finger on it. Was it B E T or something like that? It's Jules Holland, uh, which is oh, interesting because Yeah, because I always think of the Bound Two performance as well, which was obviously yeah. the same show, yeah, yeah. But he debuted uh, New Slaves, I think, on Saturday Night Live and the lyrics clearly weren't finished. So it was like, yeah. you know, it was a much more scattershot performance and it was visually amazing. And again, that kind of controlled anger was there. On this one, though, it's clearly a bit more fleshed out. You've got Charlie Wilson by his side. It's filling beautifully. He's coming in and out of the darkness and he's having fun with it as well because like there's moments when he just starts shimmying his shoulders and he's really <laughs> feeling what he's doing in the live moment and that vocal there like some of those lyrics aren't even what are actually on the final song it's it's him doing a, a very unique take on it and i found that to be just really kind of vo- revitalizing uh the original cut of it that it is on the Jesus record is astonishing as well um it's an amazing song it's about um a lot of things of course including 
slavery, segregation, racism in general, materialism, stereotypes of African Americans in the United States. There's incredible ownership on this. I think Kanye West is calling out an awful lot of people, uh, and he's doing it in a very, very Kanye way. There's an incredible coda with Frank Ocean, and it features a sample yeah. of a, a song by a Hungarian composer called Gabor Presser, who later sued Kanye in 2016 over yeah, I think it's like backstory. a backstory. Like a Hungarian rock band, isn't it? It's like hung- Hungary's like the most popular kind of psych rock band. That's probably like the main dude. But yeah, he ended up suing. What happened with all that? The backstory is weird because apparently like your man, uh, Gabor Presser, says that West asked him for permission to use the composition as the outro of New Slaves and gave him a check for $10,000 as a deposit towards a future agreement. This check was never cashed and Presser later filed a lawsuit against Kanye West seeking $2.5 million. Uh, they eventually settled at a court uh, and the details of which were not disclosed. So I don't know how much money it ended up costing him in, in the end, but great moment. Um, in a 24 interview with GQ, Kanye West claimed to have engaged in numerous meetings uh, that included what he dubbed as stay in your place type conversations. So he was clearly taking, I guess, the animosity and the patronization and the outright racism that he himself had faced, presumably in record label meetings. I don't know. I mean, it kind yeah. of sounds like that or lots of other scenarios. And this is what led him to create this and blood on the leaves as well. And the entire Yeezus album to make it like a protest. It's just, it's so, it's so angry, but I think it's, I think it retains, like I say, an incredible focus. I think it's a bit of a masterpiece. I mean, it's kind of, like I said, I mean, the Black Skinhead thing for me, which is an incredible song. I love Yeezus. I know not everyone does. Uh, shout out to friend of the show, Danny Clamartin, who will be listening to this episode right now and throwing his phone hey, on Danny. the ground. Hey, Danny. But basically, <laughs> right, my take on it is this. Um, for so long, I tried to ignore Kanye West. I, I, I always thought, guy's got a superstar aura, but I'm not really into what he's selling. I liked some, you know, of My Beautiful Dark Swiss Fantasy, but it still wasn't won over. And then around the time that I was writing for State Magazine in around 2013, I was going to review Yeezus and I got like a download of it somewhere and it was late at night and I remember throwing it on and of course, big Nine Nails fan, this has got lots of industrial production on it. You throw on on site and straight away I'm hooked. It is an electric charge. Black Skinhead is next and I remember playing this on my fucking MP3 player and I just kept hitting repeat. I wouldn't let the album continue. I spent about half an hour to an hour just listening to Black Skinhead on repeat, on repeat, on repeat. It was life-changing but i think ultimately if i was to pick that over new slaves i'd be doing disservice to a song that i think is actually it's an incredible poem it's an incredible moment and i think he's so righteous in his anger and so believable and i'm surprised that he wasn't more supported it's it's tectonic i wonder if it came out today yeah you know would it be bigger Again, or something just ahead of the curve slightly just not to get yeah, that kind of mass support. Like, I mean, like it's still obviously like a very high culture time and technology and social media and whatever. But like, I don't know. It just kind of felt like it was there. And if you saw it, you saw it. But ultimately, I don't know. It's a weird. It, it, it's a very weird Kanye time. I think. Yeah, I remember seeing this projected on uh, buildings around Dublin. It was a Saturday night out before the album dropped, and me and the lads went out to check out the fucking stream of like a few Kanye songs from Yeezus. Uh, with kind of pretty stark images of Kanye projected uh, on like government buildings and stuff. So that was kind of slightly subversive. Uh, It was, you know, it wasn't the most impactful thing. Like it didn't quite work. I'm going to say that was more maybe the council (laughs) that were helping out project it. But it was a nice idea. I think it was happening around the world. And I always think of that kind of night, which was uneventful thereafter, I've got to say. But just like, 
it was quite the kind of occasion. It just felt peak, like uh, he's an important artist. We're all basing our evening around making sure we see this so we can say we've seen it and see it. We did. Also, there's um, fans of my updates from Kanye to the uh, KTT2 forum, as it is now. Uh, there's one of the people on that Kanye forum put together just a really extended version of that outro, which is absolute bliss. And um, it's tough to get your hands on now, but I know how to get your hands on it. So just hit me up. <laughs> okay. From my, up. From, my, from my third choice. Um, you say darkness, I say hold my liquor. Bitch, I'm back out my coma. Waking up on your sofa when I park my Range Rover. Slightly scratch your Corolla. Okay, I smash your Corolla. I'm hanging on a hangover. Five years we've been over. Ask me why I came over. One more hit and I can own ya. One more fucking I can own ya. One cold night in October. Pussy had me floating. Feel like deep October. Feel like Deepak Chopra there, <laughs> little gag to end um, what is very vivid and yeah we're back in Yeezus territory and a lot more kind of insular and personal for sure, um, alienated but kind of alluring and yeah this is far darker than even a lot of the tracks on Yeezus, it's kind of Kanye as if not the villain then certainly not heroic, um, you've Justin Vernon back on kind of um, sonic duties lending it some emotional heft um, which he does so brilliantly um, in the way he propelled a couple of key tracks on My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy Um, and this is where the kind of wheels come off that sound in a brilliant way you've got Mike Dean working on the production with Kanye I think Arca and Noah uh, Goldstein helped out as well it's just it's almost like a house ballad um, but it's just something else really entirely and it kind of culminates in that tremendous Mike Dean guitar solo which is like I wish all of Kanye's songs did. I wish all songs did, to be honest, because it's such a nice tone. It is tremendous. But this is, yeah, um, this is the world's most depressing booty call um, amidst kind of substance problems and I guess major emotional regression. After like the hope of the last track that I picked, this is kind of just quite jaded and, you know, it's it really comes from that mindset of like, well, I guess I fucked everything up then. Uh, you only get one life and I've ruined mine kind of thing. And um, it's about, you know, taking things too far in a self-destructive way. And I think this song goes to that kind of too far place. And it's just beyond where a lot of other artists would go. And I think because of that, it's like liberating as all hell. Yeah, no, the clash of styles, the the barrage of everything that's happening. This one in particular, the whole album to me does feel like it's moving. And I think this one in particular really does. It feels like you're on some kind of uh, sped up slash slowed down kind of surreal airport treadmill travelator thing <laughs> yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah. And like no one else is around and you haven't slept for five days and you're cycling through your phone and it's the same old stuff over and over again. Um, yeah, it's 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 a standout, but I think it, it comes after like the opening four or five tracks on this album are just so strong and so fast and so in your face that this is almost like slightly slightly stepping back slightly kind of relaxing a bit but it's not relaxed at all right it's geeked out energy it's clearly very very anxious but even that kind of like you know the thing that goes through it like there's always something prodding at you there's kind of lessons i think on this track learned from 808s for sure like i think that this is the most 808 song on this record i also think this is like the actual sound of what Drake is supposed to be. (laughs) 
You know what I mean? It's what I wish Drake songs actually did to me because whenever I would read Pitchfork kind of end of year write-ups about like the top songs of the year and it'd be like Marvin's Room or something and then you go and re-listen and it just always felt like such a pose to me kind of in a nice nocturnal, tasteful post-808s production kind of way. But this is like properly compelling. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it allows you to like inhabit that scenario this kind of character, this circular kind of nature of being, being in a rut and it's such a delicious place to kind of wallow in at times. So it had to be my number three. Well, I'm glad you mentioned 808s and Heartbreak, Craig, because it is the best Kanye West album, no. as we know. <laughs> and that's why at number two for me from that album, it's this. Here it is. So that song is called Streetlights, taken from 2008's 808s and Heartbreak. I don't even think it was a single. Um, unlike a lot of the other songs on this list, and Craig's list as well, I mean, there's not a ton of lore with this one. I mean, like, one of the, one of the most interesting things I could find about it was that apparently it was used in a eye kit video that a makeup artist made that had Kim Kardashian in it, and it's like, that's completely useless. See, oh, that <laughs> seems so jarring, doesn't it? It's like that um, suicide song being used for like to advertise perfume at the moment, the Dream Baby Dream, where you're just like, this is not appropriate music. <laughs> it was also in an episode of Grey's Anatomy. So, I mean, I feel bad that for works. Streetlights. I feel like it, well, it works, but I feel like it needs a bit more like respect and heft or something because um, much like 808s being my favorite Kanye album, I will concede that it's not quote unquote his best, but it's my favorite one. And this is this is maybe my favorite Kanye West song, even though I put it at number two this week because for reasons I'll get to when we get to my number one. And if we don't have the same number one this week, I'll be very surprised. But we'll see. Essentially, right hmm. with Streetlights, I think it's despite everything I said about I feel like that, which is obviously incredibly revealing and candid and fearless. Streetlights to me is Kanye at his most wounded, I think, and it's a beautiful arrangement of that. It's a it's a stunning song. I can picture the streetlights in question. I can picture him walking down on a cold night, probably wearing the clothes he's wearing during the 808s era, so he looks amazing. But he's hurt, Craig. He's really upset. <laughs> Stylishly he's had his heart hurt. broken. Yeah, he's he's satorially shattered and it works for him. Like that refrain, you know, seems like streetlights glowing happened to be just like moments passing in front of me. So I hopped in the cab and I paid my fare. See, I know my destination, but I'm just not there. I mean, that is like that to me is the heart of Kanye West, broken or otherwise laid bare. And it's something I can project myself onto a thousand times, much like those government building uh, images that you saw on that. <laughs> Bravo, sir. Night. Bravo. I mean, maybe maybe you hopped in a cab that night, Craig, and you didn't know where you were going, but you kind of knew, you know, it's that kind of Happened way. on a lot of nights, to be honest. A lot of taxi fares wasted. Good I've times. Been in a few. This was the yeah. right choice, I think, in 808s, uh, just in terms of it being also my favourite song from that record. Um, I completely understand um, it being your favourite record of his, I do think there's a strong case to make that maybe it's his most influential record. Like, I think this record in particular launched so many artists' careers. There was such imitation off the back of this. It was a totally, it was such a swerve from what he had been doing. 
Um, and he totally fucking nailed it. Again, just against the odds when his heart was broken, um, he sunk into the music and pulled off a masterpiece. So it's right up there. I don't. For me, it doesn't encompass like the full magic of Kanye as a character and the kind of maximalist stuff. And I guess maybe some of the more like crowd pleasing stuff. Um, but I can totally understand why this quite insular, clean, well pieced thing is just like it's its own thing. So of course, it should be someone's favorite for sure. Um, a good choice. Bravo. Thanks, man. It speaks to me. <laughs> this also speaks to me. This speaks to me as my my particular um, Stan hipster choice. Let's let a little light. I'm so glad you came. Honey couldn't make it. Oh no, that's a shame. Waiting in June. What could be better? Let's fly the Euro. Make this the best summer ever. Take the very last car of the Euro star. Tell the conductor just drive so far. Told some of your friends and they wasn't excited. Well, we go tour the countryside and they won't be invited. We will not be disturbed by the fussing and fighting. Tell peaches like the herb. Could we just reunite it? Let's make a move on these herds. Go somewhere private. I'm talking just me and you in a plane and a pilot. Uh. yeah back to 2012 uh white dress there taken from um a rizza film soundtrack of the man with the iron fists uh doesn't seem thematically on point really there kanye it's just about him kind of being in love and atoning for all his past transgressions by showing the best uh, summer wedding ever wedding in june what could be better i wouldn't know because i didn't go to that wedding i was supposed to last june or this june probably but uh it's funny to think that back in 2012 there was a lot of talk of like i miss the old kanye even at that point and this was like maybe um throwing a slight bone to some of those people that wanted like a soul beat it's actually a rizza beat um that he had started working on um he was good friends with kanye like they'd worked rizza turned up in hawaii for my beautiful dark twisted fantasy and had done some great kind of um production work on the opener on so appalled um so he kind of was repaying the favor but it was a case of like rizza talked about Kanye just saying listen I'm in, I'm in town um, as Rizzo was editing the film um, and he was like I want to do a, a song for the movie uh, I want to do something like I just need to get something out so Rizzo called him in showed him a scene from the film which I actually haven't seen I should probably watch it um, no, it's terrible he, don't don't oh, really? it's, it's schlock can you yeah. think of what the scene might have been or is it just like completely you're like, I can't this, remember there's nothing in the content of this film that relates to Kanye's yeah, story yeah no I, mean, I don't know I mean like maybe it is used perfectly but I remember just being like this is trash Batista was in it before he was a big deal he has nice. big golden arms and like Russell Crowe's in it as a drunk and it just was very I don't know I mean it was designed to be like a throwback kind of grindhouse type thing and yeah Perhaps I just, you know, zoned out for a bit when this song came on. But yeah, it's not a good film, Craig. But by all means, you well, know, you Kanye, saw, movies, Kanye so. saw the scene and he was like, I love this. <laughs> so he basically just like right on the spot was like, OK, I'm going to write something, worked on the lyrics kind of alone, um, pieced it together quite quickly, according to Rizza. And he was like, even Rizza, who's worked with obviously some of the best MCs of all time, was like, oh, I didn't really know Kanye had this in him, like this level of spontaneity. There's no real writer's room going on. And I think you can tell from the flow, um, it was coming from the heart. It's a case of like, this is a good kind of, this is like exhibit A for me when people are like, uh, Kanye's not much of a rapper. And I'm like, well, he can be when he wants to be for sure. And he certainly gets his point across. This is like technically, I think some of his best bars for sure. Um, 
you can't go wrong really with a RZA beat and it works really well for Kanye and I love the kind of thought thing of like you know in recent times when we've talked about Kanye West albums or him releasing tracks it feels like there's a certain level of novelty it feels like he feels like he has to do it or it's going to drum up some promotion for him compared to like the shoes or the political career or the church he's starting um and it's a nice kind of reminder of a time when and I still think this is true he would just go okay I need to get something out musically this isn't going to further my career I don't need to do this but I've got some inspiration I want to create something really special and I think he did on this and not a lot of people have heard it it's finally on um, Spotify for years it was just the instrumental for whatever reason I get to write rights issues but it's there now so check it out and yeah that's my stan choice at number two Awesome. Okay, so if Streetlights is the key to my heart, this is the lightning bolt to supercharge me and just about Uh. everybody. You know what it is. Here's an incredible live version at number one. So yes, number one, definitive, greatest, Kanye West song of all mm. time is, of course, Runaway. Craig, do you have any objections? Is it my number one? You think it is? I think it is. Let's play your clip, shall we? Let's play it. Also taken from my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, is it? Runaway. I'm living in that 21st century. Doing something mean to it. Don't let it anybody you ever seen do it. Screams from the haters. Got a nice ring to it. Well, 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 yeah. we have ourselves we have ourselves a very unique situation here. I was so confident that Runaway would be your number one that it was it was just a sign seal delivered, but you've gone with power. Yeah, it just means more to me personally, I think. Um it arrived first. It was the first ever Good Friday single, so I guess by definition it should be everyone's number one, right? For this list. Um yeah, kind of almost synchronicity there, Dave. Um, it's, you know, at this point, when you're dealing with this level of absolute brilliance, um, it's, you know, it just comes down to personal preference for sure. Uh, I remember when this arrived, though, and just talk about a comeback. It feels like a culmination of so many strands of what Kanye West was trying to do. He said that himself. He was like, you know, he put fi- something like 5,000 hours into constructing it. And I know recently, like last year when he was giving interviews, it might have been a GQ one, he was like, um, I felt like I was pandering a bit with Power as a comeback single. I don't think I was saying anything new. I was drawing on like Stronger and stuff like that. It was basically just an amalgamation of all the kind of great stuff I'd done to that point. And I'm like, yeah, what's the problem with that? I'm sure he'll change his tune at some point. But like as a representation of Kanye, it's Power for me. Why is it Runaway for you? 
yeah I was saying let's not bury the lead here this is an incredible yeah. cross-section conversation and I guess two tracks from the same record from your definitive number one Kanye is is My Beautiful Dark Swiss Fantasy like your favorite album by anybody is that how good it is for you oh, is it up there Jesus yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, okay I, yeah it's this or is this it I think I think those why are the two. is it why is it run away from me you ask <laughs> I just think that this is his most kind of artistic statement it's his most complex i think uh, even if you divorce the visual and of course there is like a 35 minute music video it just feels like his his film right it feels like a play it feels like a novel it feels like a masterwork a masterpiece that lives amongst other things but is kind of its own unique island he could have released this as an album he could have been that you know just outlandish and you'd be like yeah fair enough i mean it is that good um of course we played a live version there from the mtv vmas an incredible performance with pushy t who was on the song pushy t who we love of course called the recording process of this song interesting and said <laughs> classic push we recorded quite a few songs kanye had the record already and was like yo i want you on this a lot of stuff from him comes from conversation. He'll talk to you and get a feel for your perspective and your outlook on shit. And later he'll be like, yo, I want you on this. I've got a record that perspective would fit on. That's how he operates. You'll find yourself explaining yourself. And if you can't explain the reasoning behind the things you're saying in a verse or whatever the case may be, it might not fly. He won't let you get away with it. Kanye was a, was reportedly so impressed with Push's performance while recording Runaway that he signed him under his own personal label. About his own portion of the song, Kanye said that he was interested in making a song that the average person could relate to, as he perceived himself as someone who identified with the average person. West mused that when writing the song, he wanted some parts of it to be a double entendre. According to him, some portions of it sound like he's trying to comment about his relationship with a girl, while he's also talking about his relationship with the media and society. He said, I like leaving songs, songs ambiguous a little bit where it's like, it could be about other people, it could be about yourself. The song was called an anthem for both men and women by him, who say that he wanted both genders to be able to relate to the song. He summarised the song as he does, a toast for the douchebags. There's a nice little piece here from a Chicago Tribune writer called Greg Cott, who described the production of the song and said, ostensibly sung by a groom to his new bride at a wedding, Runaway plays as an apology, a warning, and a defiant manifesto. The music mirrors that complexity. A mid-tempo funky drummer beat glides underneath the melancholy reverberating piano notes while a deep mushrooming bass tone threatens to swallow everything. Brusque cello strokes contrast with elegiac violins while a dirty guitar wends through the string section like a drunk, knocking over music stands and splattering mud on the white tablecloth beauty. It's a turbulent combination of sounds, brooding and chastened in the verses, oddly triumphant and darkly humorous during the courses, choruses. So yeah, um, it's just... It has everything, right? It has everything. It takes a while him. for the piano to get going. That's all I'm saying. But that's the best part of the song, Greg. The tension, the build-up. It it's a ten out of ten song. Um, do you know what I think? I think I couldn't pick this as my favorite Kanye song because it's that slight bit too resigned for me. And I think I need my favorite Kanye West song to represent the kind of like against all odds moment of triumph and i know there's some kind of small triumph in this as well for sure there's a lot going on but yeah i think i think my choice had to be power just for the kind of the energy rush of it it just symbolizes that kind of release of kanye to me but um splitting hairs on this record moon yeah i mean that's okay though i mean i think it's it's good to come away from this with some kind of divide some kind of argument uh on runaway i'll give you one more 
Chicago Sun Times writer this time, a guy called Thomas Connor, who said, The last four minutes find Kanye humming and singing, but his voice is auto-tuned and distorted beyond perceptibility. What's he saying or singing? Can't really make it out. Can't really understand him. Which, no doubt, is how he feels his clumsy public statements are often received. So yeah, he does kind of uh, generate his own language by the end of this one. And of course, I recall seeing him on stage in Marley Park with the sun shining, a gig that wasn't working really. And he's doing this, and I remember that's when he started saying to everyone, you're going to tell all your kids and your grandkids one day about the time that you saw Kanye in a field. And it's like, I will, but not for the reasons you think. But man, the way you phrase that, video. it's like you're going to be like, yeah, I saw Kanye in a field once. I saw him in a field once, like, yeah, yeah. What could he possibly want? Uh, no, it's very much a, a situation where like, even if you want some YouTube videos, there's some fan stuff where he goes and lumbers over the piano for like, a suspenseful amount of time and then hits that one note and the entire arena just loses their fucking mind that performance as well the MTV one with Push T is fantastic uh, hard to track down I think it's on, it's on MTV's site uh, so go go look it up but yeah Runaway man I think it's just like it's the great American novel Craig and that's it for me <laughs> Well, I just want to say that, you know, I was talking about the triumph of power and I'm just rem- remembering like the whole outro section of that where it's like, this would be a beautiful death. But that is the complexity and contradictions um, in every Kanye song and in the man himself. And I guess, Dave, in us. Oh, absolutely. In all of our top fives and all of our episodes and all of our decade of friendship together, of course. <laughs> that was this week's top five. Beautiful. This episode of No Encore was edited by the wonderful, the beautiful Dahi Odroni. We love Adam him. Shanahan will return next week. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Patreon.com slash No Encore if you want to help support the show. Check out the work of Kanye West. He's an underground artist and could use the attention. Craig Fitzpatrick, thank you again for everything. Thank you, dude. It, we did it. We finally did a Kanye top five. This was a big moment, it, I think. Yeah. It's a huge moment, and I wish we were going to the pub right now, but we're not. I, know. Uh, I will say, though, like, never with such skill and such grace have I seen a man produce a copy of Q Magazine out of actual thin air before, so that was beautiful. <laughs> I always have it to hand. Do it. <laughs> it's pretty good. All right, my name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. We're back next week. Love you. is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash press on and use code press on 25 at checkout for 25% off impress manicure and press on falsies. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.